You're listening to RUF at UT Podcast. You're never so bad that you're beyond the reach of God's grace. And you are never so good that you're beyond the need of God's grace. For more information, go to www.utk.ruf.org. y'all please join me in the reading of God's Word from Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 13. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We are doing a uh, a series uh, through um, the idea of how people change. How do people change? And the Bible has a technical word for this. The Bible word for how people change is is sanctification. It's basically, it just means uh, it's the lifelong process by which God graciously changes you, transforms you into the person that you were created to be. And I've, I've heard it compared, I've heard sanctification compared to uh, like sailing. If you're going to sail a boat, which I've never done, but apparently if you're going to sail, you, there are certain skills that you have to have. You have to know how to like get the sail up and which angle you got to pointed at and you know like you've, you there are certain skills and things that you have to do and if you don't do those things the boat doesn't move but what you need more than anything is the wind but you can't control the wind you you're completely dependent on a power outside of you to move you forward and yet there's still something that you have to do in order to move forward conversely Sanctification is not like jet skiing, where you're in the jet ski and you have the power and you have the control and you get to decide where you go and when and what pace, nor is sanctification like tubing down a river where you just lay there and you're, you're just taken on the current. It's like sailing. The thing that you need to move you forward is a power outside of you that you're dependent on that you can't control, and yet at the same time, there are certain skills that you have to learn. You can't control the wind, but you can catch the wind. So what does that mean? How do you do that? How do you catch the wind? What is it that you're supposed to do in this thing called sanctification? Well, that's what we're going to talk about for the next two weeks. What are are the skills, these kind of time-honored skills that God God has said, when you do these things, I will promise to meet with you and to change you when you do them. And these two things that we're going to look at are learning how to pray and learning how to read the Bible. We're going to talk about prayer tonight, 
reading the Bible next week. And these are so basic and ordinary, but the point has to be made. These things don't change you. They get you in touch with the one who can. So tonight, we're going to talk about this first means of grace, as theologians call it, prayer, which everyone is thrilled about. Because we, well, here, we all are horrible at praying. And the reason why I know this, and actually the reason why I'm so comforted by the fact that this passage is in the Bible is really encouraging to me because Jesus teaches us to pray, which assumes we don't know how. And that's just really comforting to know that Jesus doesn't expect us and assume that we're like master prayerers. He knows that we, we struggle at this. If you've ever tried to pray, my guess is you've had some of these experiences. Either, number one, you sit down and you try to pray and your mind wanders and you get distracted within like three seconds. Or uh, you sit down to pray and it just feels like, if we're honest, it feels like it's, it may not even be worth your time. Like kind of what's the point? Stuff's just going to happen in human history regardless if I pray or not. So it feels like it's, it's kind of a waste of time. Or uh, sometimes when you pray, uh, you have that out-of-body experience where you're praying, but then you see yourself praying, and you're like, it just feels like I'm just kind of talking to myself. This feels weird. I'm going to go to class. Or um, prayer can just make you feel really fake. You're like, you're saying these words, but they're not connected to your heart. You're just repeating phrases you've heard other Christians say before, and so We all struggle with prayer, but I think that this passage is really, really helpful. And there's so much that we could talk about in this subject tonight, but I want to limit us to talking about four things. So here's what we're going to talk about tonight under the subject of prayer. And warning, I went a little bananas with the alliteration. It's just one of those weeks, I guess. Let's look, number one, at the purpose of prayer. Number two, the precondition of prayer. Number three, the product of prayer. And number four, the practice of prayer. You got all that? The purpose, the precondition, the product, the practice of prayer. The purpose, the precondition, the product, the practice of prayer. That was hot. So um, let's look at number one, the... (laughs) Wow, thank y'all. Um, the best outline of a sermon ever just went, just happened. Um, the purpose of prayer. And by the way, just to cite my sources, I'm getting a lot of help tonight from a friend of mine, Britton Wood, who, if y'all were here like a month ago, y'all all text bombed. He's about to be my new boss. So thank y'all for text bombing him. Thanks for the help, Britton. Purpose of prayer. What is, what's the point? What's the purpose of praying? Here it is. The primary purpose of prayer is to put you before the presence of God. That was an intentionally worded sentence. The purpose of prayer, the fundamental perp, the fundamental point of praying is for you to connect with God personally. That's it. It's for you to simply be with him. That's the point of praying. But so often we relate to God in our prayers like we do the Walmart greeters at uh, Walmart. You know, the sweet, like, old people in the blue vests. We go to Walmart. 
They greet us when we walk in. We say hello to them. And then for the bulk of our time, we're loading up our carts with what we want. And then we check out and on our way out, there they are. And we kind of smile at them. They wish us a nice day and we're out the door. So our prayers relate to God very similarly. We begin our prayers by acknowledging him, dear God, Father in heaven. But then for the bulk of our prayers, we're just loading up our carts. Give me this, change this, help me with this, fix this, be with so-and-so. Can you be with so-and-so? Help this, change this. And then at the end, we kind of say hey to him again, and we pray all this in Jesus' name, and we kind of walk out. Now, no one goes to Walmart to hang out with the greeters. That would be odd. You go to Walmart to get stuff. And so often, we relate to prayer as we're not here to really connect with God, to be with him. We're just here to get stuff. Most of us think that's what prayer is. I'm here to get something from God. The first time that I, that I can remember praying, I was not a Christian. This was my, my sophomore year of high school. Didn't even know if God existed, but I, I was sitting down for a biology test that I was not prepared for. And I asked God, God, if you're there, can you help me get an A? Because I needed to do well on this test. I didn't even know if God existed. I just needed the A. Did I care about God? Did I want to connect with God personally? No. I just wanted something from him. And I was like, I got nothing to lose. I'll jump through the hoop. Whatever. But here's what I want you to see. Look at verse 7. When Jesus says this, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. Heaping up empty phrases is like repeating words or phrases over and over and over, almost like to get the word count of their prayer up, like y'all do with your papers. Now, why would they say all these words over and over? We'll keep going. He says this, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Why do the Gentiles feel like they have to have these long, devotional-sounding prayers? Well, Jesus tells you it's because they're trying to butter God up. They're trying to do these long, wordy, elegant prayers so that God will see them and be so impressed with their spiritual devotion and give them what they want. They're relating to God like he's just the big vending machine in the sky, and prayers are their way of kind of pumping quarters in it and hitting the buttons. If you think that's the purpose of prayer, and you're praying primarily just to get stuff, but then you don't get the stuff that you asked for, then eventually you stop praying. Because it feels like this vending machine's broken. Why am I gonna, I'm going to save my money and quit pumping quarters into this thing because it doesn't work. But that's not the primary purpose of prayer. It's, it's not to get stuff from God. It's to get God. It's to be with him. So that's why he says, like, when you pray, like, be alone. Don't, don't be do, always praying out in the open, but get alone in your closet so it's just you and him, just so that you can spend time with him. And, and here's an important point that I, I, I want to make before we go on to number two. Being with God does not always give you a high. It doesn't always give you this, a spiritual surge. Often I hear people saying, you know, I, I tried praying, I prayed for a while, I didn't get anything out of it. I didn't feel anything. And that tells you, what does that tell you? It tells you you weren't praying to get God, you were praying to get something from him. And the thing that you wanted him to give you was this groovy, spiritual, Jesus vibe thing. And when he didn't give it, vending machine's broken, I want to quit. 
praying is not just wanting to get an experience from him. It's just to be with him, to enjoy being in his presence, to enjoy focusing your attention and your focus on the beauty of who he is. That's the purpose. So, okay, let's go to number two. What's the precondition of prayer? If the purpose of prayer is to be in his presence, what's the precondition? If you notice throughout this passage, he's, he's, Jesus is telling us always to refer to God as Father. Father is your Father, is our Father. When you, when you pray, pray our Father in heaven. Here's what this means. He's using this imagery of family, of intimacy, of protection, of love. He wants you to assume when you pray, assume the goodness of God. Assume that God is your Father that is good. How can you know that? How can you know that God is a good father? Here's how you can know that. You look at the cross. The cross is God, for God so loving the world that he gave his son on our behalf. He could have held us accountable for our sins and our crimes and our mistakes and our failures, but he doesn't. He gives Jesus as the one that is going to be punished on our behalf. He gives Jesus for you in your place, and he gives Jesus to you, and he gives you to Jesus. And here's why that is so important. There's this, um, there's this book, there's a really interesting book title called Praying Backwards. And the premise of the book is, from what I understand, because I, I have not read it, I don't know. But from what I understand is that the premise of the book is most Christians pray, blah, 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 blah. And then we have that little thing that we pray at the end. We pray all this in Jesus' name. We just kind of tack that on at the end. It's like the caboose of our prayers that just kind of show up. But he says, what if, rather than the idea of praying in Jesus' name at the end, what if that was kind of at the beginning? We prayed backwards. What if that was the starting point, the precondition, that when we prayed, we assumed the person and the work of Jesus while we prayed? Here's why this matters. Let me connect the dots to your life. Have you ever felt like, I can't pray because it's been so long since I have prayed? Or I'm not the right kind of person to pray because of X, Y, or Z. And that, that kind of awkwardness you feel of like, I haven't prayed in a long time, so I can't pray. It's that awkwardness of like asking somebody for a big favor when you haven't talked to them in a long time. It's like, I'm about to ask this person to pick me up from the airport at four in the morning and I haven't talked to him all semester. Like, the awkwardness you feel is because you understand the way relationships work is the the thing that grants me a right to ask big favors of you is because we're like friends and we stay in touch with each other. That's not how it works with God. That's not how it works with prayer. He does not relate to you on the basis of your previous prayer history. He does not relate to you on the basis of your moral resume or how good you've been this week. He relates to you in Jesus' name, not yours. Do you remember um, in Star Wars Episode Four when the good guys are trying to gain access into the Death Star? And they know there's no way that we can just roll up into the Death Star because it, as is, if we show up just the way that we're dressed, we're going to get destroyed. So what do they do? They get dressed up as stormtroopers. They take the stormtrooper gear and they put it on them. And once they're in stormtrooper swag, they can, act, they can enter freely. It's the same way with prayer. 
you can't access the presence of God by yourself. But the good news of the gospel is that God gives you Jesus. You are literally, the Bible says that you are clothed in Jesus so that when you show up to pray, you don't show up in your name. Jesus, I'm praying in my clothes on my basis. Here's why you should listen to me because I've been good, because I haven't done X, Y, Z, and I've been reading my Bible this week. No, you show up in Jesus's name on his credentials, on his resume, and that's how you have access. So, if you haven't prayed in a while, God would love to hear from you tonight. If you feel like I'm not the right kind of person to pray, I've done too much, I'm too deep into stuff, let me just say this, you're not the right kind of person to pray. But God gives you his son that you might be clothed in him so that you can become the right kind of person that prays. Because you're praying in Jesus' name, not yours. That's, this is all the precondition of prayer. If you're going to connect with God, the very basis of connecting with him is assuming he is a good, gracious, forgiving father that has given Jesus for you. Precondition. So, okay, question three. If the purpose of praying is just being with God, and you do that by relating to him by grace because of the personal work of Jesus, what would be the result of that? What, what's the product? What's the byproduct of if you were to pray like that, what would happen? Well, here's what would happen. You, your heart would begin to be calibrated after his. You would begin to love what he loves and hate what he hates. Uh, you would have the same priorities as him. That's why when Jesus instructs us how to pray, he says you should begin by praying, hallowed be your name. To hallow something. This is such a weird word. We don't really use this word anymore. But to hallow something means to make it holy, to set it apart, to make it special and distinct. So Jesus is saying the first thing, the thing at the top of your wish list should be to say, God, would you be so kind as to make your name and who you are exalted and different? Would, would people all over the universe find you to be famous and worship you and adore you and treat you as you deserve to be treated? That's the thing Jesus says is at the top of the prayer list. Which this is such, this is, a, this is not a me-centered prayer at all. This is the most God-centered way of praying ever. I mean, do we ever pray like this? The number one thing I'm asking for is for your name to be heralded and found beautiful all over the world and found more beautiful in my own heart. This is why the, the, the very next thing that he says to pray is, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus is saying, don't begin your prayers asking for jobs and asking for A's and asking for boyfriends and girlfriends and asking for internships. Begin your prayers by submitting your plans to him. Not my will be done, but your will be done. You can ask for stuff, of course. I mean, he, he, he includes that later in the, in the thing. He says, give us this day our daily bread. You are allowed to ask God for stuff. But, my, but the, the order is it's down at the bottom. And my guess is if you were to pray regularly for God's name to be hallowed, for your plans to be submitted to his, would his will be done, not yours, my guess is you would not 
pray as quickly for A's and boyfriends and girlfriends and jobs and internships. You might. It's not that those are bad things to pray for. Those are good things. But my guess is the byproduct of what would happen in your heart is that over time you would be praying things more like this. God, I want to know you more. I want to see justice and righteousness in the world more. God, would you give me strength to fight my sin more? God, would you, would you um, help me uh, to forgive my roommate more? Would you save the people that don't know you, that, are, that I'm friends with? That your heart and your prayers would become more God-centered, less me-centered. In other words, God would become bigger in your heart and you would become less. He becomes bigger, you become smaller. That's sanctification. That's the product of praying this way. It's you actually becoming spiritually sane again. You recognizing God is at the center of the universe and I orbit around him, not the other way around. So, purpose of prayer, precondition of prayer, product of prayer, last thing. The practice of prayer. And I want to be really practical here. I want to give you three practical suggestions of how you might pray. These are not like, this is not like the silver bullet of like, here's the three steps for the perfect prayer life. These are just suggestions. You don't have to do these. These are just ideas, things that I've kind of picked up along the way that have been helpful for me. And I, I throw them out to you with the hopes that maybe this would help you connect with God more intimately. Here's the first practical suggestion. Be okay with being bad at it. Be okay with being bad at praying. Uh, I don't know if you've ever had this experience where you're like, I'm, I, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to pray. I'm going to set aside some time and I'm going to sit down and pray. Maybe this will be your experience tomorrow. I heard the RUF guy, okay, I'm gonna, I want to pray. I'm going to sit, you, know, you get up early, everybody else in your house is asleep, you get your coffee and you sit down and you're like, okay, prayer time. What do I do? And you try praying, and after 10 seconds, you're like bored and feel awkward, and you're like, I'm bad at this, I quit. Everybody is bad at this. Here is um, here's something I heard recently that I thought was helpful. Most amazing marriages begin with really awkward first dates. You have to be okay with being bad at praying if you ever want to expect to be good at it. I mean, this is just kind of common sense. Nobody sits down at a piano they've never played in their life and they just start banging out awesome jams. They have to be bad at it for a while and then they eventually get good at it. Nobody picks up Fortnite for the first time and <laughs> is the last person to survive. You're getting capped by all the ninjas that are out there and you've got to be bad at it for a long time before you can be good at it. Fortnite, yeah! Prayer, not so much. Um, uh, But you have to be okay. You have to be okay with being bad at it. And here's the most encouraging verse that I could give you tonight in regards to being okay with being bad at praying. In Romans chapter 8, it talks about human beings groaning. We talked about this in our senior guys group the other day. 
that, that there's like human beings sometimes the, the brokenness of the world just causes us to groan. And it says in Romans 8, 26, likewise, the spirit helps us in our weakness for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. This is saying when you groan and you don't even have words, you don't even know what you're supposed to pray, the Spirit takes your groans and He groans and He brings them before God and it's almost like He's a groan translator and takes your groans and actually makes them prayers acceptable to God. The point being, you don't even have to have words to pray. If you sit down, you're like, I don't even know what to say. I just feel like, ugh, that counts. That should be super encouraging that you literally can groan and that is you connecting with God. I'm coming before God and I'm groaning about my life. I'm groaning about me. I'm groaning about what's happening and God takes it and translates it into prayers. Or if you don't know what to pray, Jesus literally says you can pray this prayer. You can pray the Lord's prayer and start with that and have that be a model for you. You don't have words, just pray that. The point is you have to be okay with being bad at it. Because the reality is, I don't think anybody's really good at it. At least, I, I mean, I'll just speak for me. I don't, I'm not good at it. I'm still learning. Practical suggestion number two. Uh, you have to restructure your day. Everybody's day is structured by something. Nobody just wakes up and they're like, I literally have nothing to do. Maybe you do. I don't know. My guess is most of us, most of our days, you don't wake up and you're like, I literally have nothing. We structure our days around classes, work, uh, errands we have to run, commitments. And if you're a Christian, most of us say, okay, I got to do all that. I structure around this and this and this and this. And if I have any time left over at the end, then maybe I'll pray. Which means that you don't really pray. But what if we structured our days not around class and work and our commitments, but what if we structured it around prayer? What if prayer was the thing that actually framed and structured our day, and we had as much of a commitment and priority to that as we did our classes and our work schedule? Modern-day Christians put so much pressure on the morning quiet time experience. I've got to get up and I've got to pray in the morning which is hard enough to do just in and of itself. But if you do it, which is great if you do, if you do it, it's really easy for you to kind of scratch that off the list after you do it and kind of put God back on the shelf and then go about the rest of your day and it's like you don't even give a second thought to God a lot of the times because you did him in the morning and now you got all this other stuff that you got to do the rest of your life. But the way that ancient Christians actually used to pray and structure their lives was they would structure their whole day around smaller chunks of time in the morning, in the afternoon, in the evening, where you're praying throughout the day and you're integrating God into the reality of your life, not just this kind of like quick thing in the morning. A couple of years ago, Tim Keller came and spoke to all the RUF campus ministers, and he basically said, this is my personal prayer practice I have a little prayer time in the morning. I carve out a, ch- a little five-minute chunk of time in the middle of the afternoon, and then I pray with my wife at the end of the day. And one of the campus ministers asked him this question. They're like, how can you get alone to pray in the middle of the day for as busy as you are, for as crowded as New York City is? How, how can you be alone? How can you? We're too busy. Who prays in the middle of the day? And he said, well, if I'm in a meeting or if I'm in a lunch I step out and I try to be alone for just five minutes just to pray. And if I can't find anywhere to be alone, 
I go into the bathroom stall. That's the one place I know where I can be alone. And I was like, that's interesting. The point is, you have to plan to pray. Hope is not a strategy. If you just hope that you're going to pray, maybe with the amount of time that you have left over, you won't. But if you have a plan, you at least have a shot at praying. Here's the thing. If you want to be radical for Jesus, you want to be sold out, the most counterintuitive, sold out, radical thing that you could do for Jesus would be to carve out time each day to pray badly by yourself. It's a suggestion. You don't have to. But I think it would be radical. That's number two. Here's the last little prayer suggestion to leave you with. Here's the last thing. Never stop starting over. Never stop starting over. If you're anything like me, you kind of have these moments where you're like, okay, I'm going to pray. And you go in these planned seasons of prayer, and maybe it goes well for a while. Maybe for like two or three days, it's like, I'm praying, I'm praying, this is great. And then you get tired, or you get bored, or you get distracted, and it kind of falls off your radar. And then you kind of come to one day, and you're like, oh my goodness, it's been like six months since I've prayed. When that moment happens, you start over. You try again. And when you go again, and you go again, and then you kind of, it falls off your radar and you stop, then you start over again. The trick is you just never stop starting over. And it is the grace of the gospel that frees you to say, I can pick up literally where I left off without any feeling of guilt and shame because I don't come to Jesus, I don't come to God on the basis of my prayer history. I come to God in Jesus' name. And I can know that he accepts me with love and favor and delight. I mean, the Bible says he throws parties for sinners who come home. That can be you over and over. Never stop starting over. This is, these are just simple suggestions. Take them or leave them for what it's worth. Here's the last thing I want to say. Because of the person and the work of Jesus, you really do have access to the Lord and the creator of the universe. This, my whole little spiel up here, this 30-minute spiel that I just did, this is not a guilt trip to get you to pray more. Get your act together and pray more. This is, this is an invitation for you to connect with your creator, to relate to him on the basis of the grace that is offered to you in the gospel so that when you get before his presence, he might actually change you into a person that loves God more and loves others. That's the invitation. Let me pray. Father, we confess, I confess, that, uh, I mean, I just feel out of my league talking about things that I don't know really anything about. Uh, But I'm thankful that you teach us how to pray. I'm thankful that you, you give us uh, skills and, and means by which you promise to connect with us. And so, Father, I pray that you would encourage us. I pray that you would spur us on, that for those of us that have been uh, in a, a place of stagnation or just a, a place of feeling dry, that you would encourage us to turn back to you and, and 
and, and seek your face. Uh, for those of us that are just discouraged in prayer, we feel like we're praying and we're praying and nothing happens. We feel like we get nothing out of it. It, doesn't feel, it feels like it's a waste of our time. I pray that you would encourage us and to remind us that when we pray, you actually meet with us personally. Even if we don't feel it, you're there with us, listening, hearing, tr- changing us. Father, would you encourage us and, and continue to bend our instincts towards you, that we might find delight in being with you, just to be in your presence and to enjoy the beauty and the glory of who you are. Would that be true of, of me and of my life, and would that be true of these folks as well? pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.